0: The Digital Transition. The Digital Transition. Brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, podcast number six. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking to David Philp, or the Philp star as he's better known in industry. David is a global BIM and information consultant and director of BIM for ACOM. Thanks for being here, Dave.
1: Hey, Nathan, great to join you today.
0: Mate, first of all, let's start with yourself. Now, for those that aren't aware of who you are uh, and the various roles you've played in industry. Can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I can indeed, Nathan. So as you can probably tell by my accent straight off, uh, I, I am Scottish sort of thing. And I've been in industry now for almost 25 years uh, within there. Uh, you know, like many, I started off as a young graduate. My background is in building engineering and construction management. So, you know, I went through the, the typical graduate scheme, working from being a contractor. And like any, you know, thought I'd be doing project management, but spent the first couple of years banging in pegs, surveying and everything. So I've also had a passion, if you like, for surveying and data capture within there. And then went on to do, you know, master's in uh, property and construction management as well, which, you know, was really quite important to me, you know, as well sort of thing to just understand asset management. And you know, operational life cycle as well. So, I spent almost twenty years as a main contractor, working you know as technical director, often there. And then this thing happened, and eventually became a uh, BIM program director uh, at Balfour Beatty. So you could say about ten years ago, went from probably quite a traditional career trajectory to to starting into you know this world of. BIM, digitization within there. But actually, one of the things I thought was really important and I still do, still believe in is, uh, and I keep really close to, is, you know, understanding the profession, understanding the project life cycle, you know, our engineering, construction management. It's still hugely important. And, uh, you know, I always make sure I've got linkage, uh, you know, especially with professional institutes. I'm a trustee at our Chartered Institute of Building. So I always think it's important when we talk about digitization still having that solid foundation within industry as well and, you know, how we can improve each of them. Well, you've got to understand the problem statement. So so about five years ago, I joined AECOM, uh, you know, where I now have the role of Global BIM and Information Management Consultancy Director, working with our businesses across the globe to help our clients get, you know, more value out of their data and their information and obviously trying to transform, you know, what they do, especially in terms of, during the operational life cycle and uh, portfolio asset management as well, increasingly. You know, and I think we are quite unique at ACOM. You know, we've got some over 80,000 employees there and we've got unique circumstances to explore big data opportunities. Uh, You know, we've got probably over, you know, 20,000 BIM practitioners across the globe, especially within... uh, the NZ marketplace, which is particularly mature within there as well. And anytime we we've got about 30,000 people collaborating in the, the cloud and models and project data for there uh, as well. And, you know, all that data represents billions of dollars in construction as well within there. So, you know, I'm really lucky with that role. You know, we get to work with great people, great clients across the globe. And, you know, we're seeing where they're going within digitization as well now.
0: So, Dave, the main reason I guess I had you on today is obviously you've worked with ACOM and you've, you've spent a bit of time uh, working within the groups that have been developing the and rolling out the UK BIM standards. Now, I guess I'm a bit of a Simon Senek fan and I know it's kind of not your response in terms of the overall government, but from your perspective and and your kind of role that you play in ACOM, um, you'd have a pretty good understanding as to the reason why the UK government decided to try and mandate or didn't try but have mandated deliverables for projects from the 4th of April in 2016. So what do you think the reason is why?
1: I mean, it's a really good question, Nathan, and uh, you're right. I mean, I was lucky enough to be seconded way back uh, at the beginning of that program into the then uh, the UK BIM task group within there that was that connection, you know, working in partnership with government. And as you rightly say, I mean, it was very much purpose-driven within there, and actually, if you think about it, you know, it's actually had a hypothesis This thing called building information uh, modelling, I still think of it as building information management. And actually, when we always used to refer to it in the task group, it was always information modelling and information management within there as well. But actually, the hypothesis was very much that, you know, government as a client can derive significant improvements in cost, value and carbon performance through open, shareable asset information. So... If you went back there, it was actually testing, if you like, the why statement uh, within there. So there was no focus really in what, but actually, you know, why? You know, can we get better value uh, within there as well for this use of this thing called, you know, digital information? One of the things that we also had, uh, and I don't know if you you remember it from there, we also had a series of tests around that hypothesis as well, you know, the ones where, you know, is it valuable there? You know, is it going to help us, you know, maximise client value by increasing benefits, you know, little or no extra cost for the client? You know, is it understandable?
0: Yes.
1: Is it general in terms of both buildings and infrastructure, non-proprietary? So there was also seen as a series of tests to help us actually test the hypothesis within there as well. So it was then going and actually testing it there, as you say, in terms of actually the purpose statement as well. I think the other thing that's quite unique about the UK, everybody talks about the UK BIM strategy. We, I, I don't think we had. I mean, I always think it was a case of actually we had a government construction strategy, and one of the key themes of it was this thing called Building Information Modeling. And actually, you know, there was another thing within there that got mandated, and it's now part of, you know, what was our UK BIM in terms of soft landings. You know, we've got a standard for it, BS8536. Which looks at briefing, but actually ensuring we have alignment with those who operate around users. You know, with those that are making our, you know, doing the briefing and the investment, and we use BIM to test our targets within there as well. There was also a theme that looked at uh, much more collaborative forms of procurement that looked at early contractor engagement and project bank accounts. So, there were several things going on, if you like, you know, to test that purpose within there. Uh, as well but you know how can we do it better and how can we actually drive value out of there and i think one of the things within you know that what was a level two bin program it really showed there was real value and i think the real value was often in terms of alignment of fm and operational teams of those who were designing and constructing within there as well so really i think sometimes the, the, the big change and the biggest benefit was the behavioral change that we made
0: yeah well i, I one of the things that i look at and I've even had conversations with uh, facility managers for major asset owners a number of years ago was the fact that during the procurement (laughs) timeframes, the facilities management guys were never consulted and never kind of asked as to uh, what their requirements were. And one of the biggest catchphrases I think that are really important that I've seen, you know, with regards to uh, BIM implementation from the UK is beginning with the end in mind. And I think that that's probably... A, a key factor beyond all of this.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say. And, and, we'll, and when we think about that, you know, the, the big part of this golden thread—you know, golden thread of information—but also, you know, golden thread of purpose. You know, making sure that our clients actually have, if you like, you know, clear strategy for both capital expenditure, but importantly, operational strategy as well. And that clear purpose goes right the way through the project, and using our information, our models to actually test that purpose. And if you like, the measurable targets as well within there. And I think, if anything, you say that's been one of the key things, you know, is actually that better collaboration. And it's starting the conversation between, you know, those that operate. And not just the FM teams, but also, you know, the strategic asset management teams. And most importantly, we use assets, you know, it might be in terms of, you know, something clinical staff. It could be a teacher. It could be a pupil. We need to make sure that, you know, we're involving these end users, and the development of design, the testing of the models as well. And we've got all these wonderful tools now in terms of immersive reality where they can really get involved and understand what's being designed.
0: I guess we've touched on kind of some of the the documents and the outcomes regarding the the BIM mandate. But I think, I guess, and you kind of touched on how the key areas were were covered and how BIM was only part of it. And I guess when you're talking about that, you're talking about the um, Her Majesty Government's industrial strategy so the Government and Industry and in Partnership Construction 2025 report. I think that's possibly where you're coming from. And one of the things that I think that's really important for asset owners to kind of understand or learn from the UK and their kind of Level 2 mandate is actually in regards to some of the significant targets that were nominated in that within that report. Do you just want to briefly touch on... Uh, those targets. You know, I know there was ones regarding lower costs and delivery and emissions and exporting of services. Do you want to t- t- touch on that so that the listeners understand, I guess, the other side of it as to why the, uh, the, the UK government did what they did?
1: Yeah, indeed. I mean, it, 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 you know, that when we had the initial strategy, you know, I always, you know looked at a series, if you like, of staging posts, you know, and the continuation of the program. And, you know, as you said, there was four key targets within there. A lower cost target of 33%. You know, how do you reduce you know the cost of construction? But nothing about capital expenditure across the whole life cost of a built asset. So <clears throat> starting to think about construction in terms of the cost side, but thinking more and more right the way through for there was beginnings where you can influence it in terms of strategic assessment, the briefing, the design, the construction. And there was a realization that, you know, again, if you've got data feeding forward and backwards, you can start to influence right the very beginning with a much better briefing process. And actually, as we all know that, you know, probably 80% of total expenditure costs are in operation as well. You know, how can the, the digitization of that, you know, help government clients, you know, be able to reduce their overall whole life costs? Yeah. There was also one that I think was really interesting, you know, faster delivery of 50%. And what went, oh, what well, on site? Well, and this is my own personal view, it's much more th- than just that. You know, as a... A series of different components you know how do you digitize maybe automate some of the front end uh, pieces and maybe in terms of you know gaining planning permission or statutory compliance can we we start to digitize that can we start to automate some of the procurement process reduce time within there and then when we do get onto site through design for manufacturing and assembly and much more industrialization of the process can we maximize off-site opportunities so when you start to add all these different pieces up, from the DFMA to automation or processes, then I think it is fair to say that you know 50% faster delivery, not just in site, but you know right from the early stages, can you know really happen. And, and if you look at a complete construction program, and not just design construct, but looking at the early stages in terms of business cases, procurement within their statutory approvals. There's a huge amount that can be shaved off that real front end within there through for, for digitization within there as well. There was a third target that looked at uh, lower emissions, which we're especially looking at in terms of reduction in greenhouse gases as well within the built environment. And I think it's fair to say, you know, initially when, you know, the, when level two came out, it was looking at probably embedded carbon more than anything. Yep. And I think what we're seeing now is industry comes more advanced, especially through sensor technologies and everything we we can start to look at, if you like, operational performance of our assets much more. But what I would say is I think, you know, as an industry, we've been particularly, you know, poor at measuring, you know, operational performance within there. And through sensor technologies, all that sensing and real-time analytics, we've got a real opportunity to better understand and optimize, if you like, our, our greenhouse gases in the operation within there. And again, through early testing and design, and the fourth one, if you like, was an interesting one. You know, how do you improve in exports as well within there? And uh, you know, we start to you know be able to export skills, services within there, or indeed smart construction products and materials as well. So, if you get this right, you know, you start to build you know real opportunities. And you think, you know, within the UK, you know, it's roughly you know construction is seven percent of our GDP. It's it contributes a huge amount, and it can either put a break on. Or increase their overall economic performance within there. So, I think if anything, you know, there's a there's a big realization that better productivity can, you know, boost, you know, our national economy and start to give, you know, export opportunities, uh, you know, for the likes of Acom or, or whoever to start to be able to do that. I think you know we've seen that already in the UK in terms of you know if you like the if you like the internationalization of some of the standards that were initially born out of the UK principles as well.
0: Now one of the things I take away from all of that and when I first saw this, uh, these targets, I actually feel they're highly ambitious and at this point in time we're only a couple of years into the uh, the goals stated or stipulated at being 2025 and as we're aware the construction industry is uh, still adapting to change and, and depending upon who you talk to, you know, it's 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 the the level two BIM adoption is either going reasonably well, and there's some people that struggle at their end as well. Now, from the perspective of the UK government and and the and the projects that you're aware of over there, Dave, are you starting to see the results that they wanted to achieve from that mandate?
1: Yeah, I think from an an AECOM perspective, you know, we're we're starting to see you know our clients, you know, really starting to get value out of it. <clears throat> as, a, as again, you know, I think you know better, smarter procurement. But also, there's you know, I think when we think about value, we get too, if you like, uh, held up, if you like, on the, the quantitative value. You know, looking at the cost. But I think for a lot of clients, has been the qualitative value within there as well. You know, in terms of actually. It might be in terms of reinvigorating, you know, the image of construction within there, increasing capability of workforce within there. It's more talented, you know, and diverse within there as well. But I think really for the clients, the huge value we're seeing is actually getting a complete and accurate data set right at the point of handover that they can use to safely maintain within there as well. And again, you know, I think they're starting to, you know, through market conditions, see the, you know, the value proposition from, from cost and time coming through as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think it has got a long tail within there, but I think, you know, it's really starting to to make an effect. And I think we're starting to see a lot of people, especially our clients, building upon that now, starting to think about digital not just as a project thing, but thinking more about digital efficiencies in terms of their whole assets within there as well. So, you know, clients that, uh, you know, where BIM and digital was a project-led thing are now thinking about, hmm, that works. You know, how do we now... So to think about a digital asset management strategy within there as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, the real value is coming there and it's now building on it and actually thinking about an industry in the UK that is very much thinking about efficiency and is much more technologically advanced within there as well. And I think it may be the language, you know, I think BIM is is one component of it now, but, you know, they're starting to see much more, uh, you know, as we mentioned, thinking about sensor-based technologies, industrialization, and robotics, you know, up in Scotland, you know, where I'm based, you know, we've got a Construction Scotland Innovation Centre that's got, you know, all the, the construction robotics to go and test, you know, maybe new ideas of constructs within there as well, often not involving, you know, human intervention. So I think, yeah, the answer is yes. You know, we're starting to see a lot of our clients getting the benefits of what what we, we used to refer to as BIM Level 2. I think the language is changing a bit now with the industrial, you know, with the international standards within there. And, you know, with that confidence, you know, they're still now building out upon it as well within there. And I think at the end of the day, you know, there's, you know, a huge momentum, you know, with issues such as the green economy, you know, the smart infrastructure market as well within there.
0: I could probably vouch for the improvement in export component because of the number of events that uh, we've caught up with each other uh, here in Australia and (laughs) and uh, even over in Europe. So, you know, it's an opportunity for you guys to do that.
1: Yeah, but you know, I think that's great that you know we've now started that you know I think BIM has been a catalyst for that you know in terms of starting an international conversation about how we better industry. So I think if anything, I always take it away is you know BIM has truly built you know a collaborative global community. You know where folk across all the world are talking about you know through either be BIM, be digital engineering. You know often over a small beverage. You know it might be a soft drink or whatever, but you know it's brought people it's brought people together, and I think if anything, you know that that's a big part. You know. You know, people are generally interested in terms of, you know, how we advance our industry, especially now for the next generation. But, you know, people are excited about it. And I think that's been a great thing, isn't it? You know, getting people excited about the industry they're in again and, you know, committing to make change.
0: And and seeing how they can make the world a better place. Some of the things that I find really intriguing here that occurred in Australia for a number of years. Uh, now, obviously, you'd probably be aware with your involvement with ACOM that the number of uh, government agencies here in Australia that have just started to start releasing principles mm. and policies and stuff, which is really, really positive for industry because it gives a lot of confidence. And I spoke earlier to Andrew Kerthoy, so I know you have spent time with as well uh, in the podcast series about, you know, the Queensland movement and the, and the policy up here. But there was a period of time whereby government had a position where they suggested industry should lead this. And Obviously, the the amount of work that that leaders within industry have been doing over the years has kind of, I guess, gotten to a tipping point where government thinks it's actually worthwhile moving forward. Now, do you believe that the UK government went about it the right way in terms of mandating um, all of their projects over $50 million, you know, Mm. be delivered to this high level of requirements back in, in April 2016?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. And and if and, you know, like, the £50 million, pound, as you're out right to say, was a starting point way, way back. But then that threshold, you know, what, you know what was, was lifted. But if you, if you went back to, you know, 2011, you know, if you can cash your amount that back, you might still have been in shorts sure, or oh, at, at oh. that point, you know, within <laughs> there, you know, back at school. Oh, not that young. But re- <laughs> yeah, but re- remember, remember the backdrop, especially within the UK, we're in a period of, you know, terrible recession within there. And, you know, the people were looking, actually, how do we improve things within there? And you know I think in terms of, you know, government is probably the biggest construction client out there, you know, probably had, a, you know, an a, a amazing opportunity within there to actually make this happen with industry, you know, that were willing to change, you know, because of recession within there. As well, we're looking for a bit of a beacon and a you know lighthouse to you know for you know for the main client to actually set a trajectory you know for there as well. And I think there's also you know a sense of scale as well. You know in terms of you know the size of our you know the construction portfolio in the UK versus that of Australia as well. But again, you know go back to you know the the so-called mandate if you like as well. You can see the tests that we had within there, and I think if anything. The the UK, you know, we're really good at, you know, building the communities uh, within there. We've now got the UK BIM Alliance and such like there. So it was very much about a partnership, uh, you know, approach within there as well. So I think they got it right, yes. And I think what we're seeing is that continuation within the UK in terms of, you know, the government now looking at, you know, the next steps within there in terms of, you know, the, the, you know, better outcomes within there and trying to improve productivity. So there's an ongoing commitment to there. And I think what happened was, I think industry would have got there, but I think, you know, for a client intervention, it sped the process up and it gave us an opportunity to learn lessons as well, you know, so having a structured way of doing it, you know, lessons could be shared, you know, pilot projects monitored and also building the standards around about it as well were, were hugely important. So, you know, I think they've done it right. You know, is it right for Stalia? I think that's a different question within there. And Equally, we're seeing amazing stuff come out of Australia as well, and great clients such as Transport for New South Wales, Victoria State government, all doing amazing stuff you know, within there as well. So you know, when it comes to BIM, I think we can all learn lessons from all parts of the, you know, the globe. And I think, you know, one of the things we should never do, I think, is, you know, be you know, be introspective. We've got to look right around the globe and what are the good parts, you know, that we're all doing within there as well. And I think now you know the big parts about that innovation agenda the research and development within there uh as well so yeah i mean we were lucky at the point in time in the uk you know where the government that went and and you know and led it within there
0: yeah and and change of government can also cause sorts of changes that happened here in australia which happened over 10 years ago as well but uh, as people can obviously tell and as you've covered before you're a scotsman now People probably don't know that I also have some Scottish blood in me with my uh, my mother's parents coming from from Glasgow and and I'm hoping to be up in Edinburgh later this year with you uh, to experience build. But back to the BIM BIM world. You've also been involved with the with the Scottish BIM implementation as well. And I and I believe that the Scottish journey began after the UK one from from your perspective. You know, has the Scottish uh, methodology, you know, is it built off the back of the UK uh, ideology and, and, and then made some adjustments to suit the Scottish way of life? Or has it taken things a different approach?
1: Well, you, you, as you rightly said, uh, Nathan, you know, up, up in Scotland, uh, you know, they, I would say it's very much, you know, I'd say the UK is aligned generally. And, what you know, one of the things that the UK has, you a know, a Home Nations, you know, working group, you know, to try and make sure there is... A, consistency of approach within there. But, you know, if you went back, one of the things that Scotland has got, which I think is really strong policy around about BIM, you know, I was lucky enough to chair uh, the BIM delivery group in Scotland that's led by the Scottish Fisher Trust. And I would say to any viewers, uh, viewers listeners of uh, the podcast, go into just type SFT BIM portal. And there's a huge wealth, if you like, of information uh, within there. But, you know, one one of the things that was real catalyst in, in Scotland was a procurement review uh, within there. And one of the things that came out of there was, uh, you know, a recommendation for BIM, where appropriate, within Scotland, uh, within there. And ultimately that came up with, uh, Scottish Government came up with a policy note that bodies within their Scottish uh, public finance manual, uh, within, like, so our National Health Service, our Prison Service, our Transportation uh within there. Now the thing that we came up with I think that was quite unique was a grading tool. Because remember that word appropriate. Uh there'd been a bit of a survey done to, you know, look at capability and capacity of the supply chain. And there was a realization that, you know, remember we're trying to fast track a program in Scotland within about 18 months within there that, you know, not everybody could jump up to level two. So one of the things we've done was create a grading tool. So if your project was over, you know, uh you know two million capex of real money i.e. Mean, Scottish money, uh UK money, uh, within there. That public <laughs> body uh you know had to go in the grading tool. There was no, no BIM option, but either give you what we call BIM level one in Scotland, which is about information management, common data environment, naming conventions within there. Might still be in that, you know, CAD is your, you know, you're still as your your primary graphical data within there, or BIM level two. But it meant there was a grading one to come up with an appropriate means, if you like, of grading your project. Then what happened is part of, you know, that the policy was to say, right, okay, you've not done that. You then do a return on investment to so, look okay, at, you know, as a client, you know, what, what does that return on investment? i.e., You know, you might have to invest with money into a common data environment or information manager roles. And then what it does, it takes you for a very queer navigator of, you know, for each of the departments about as a client body. Uh, that's going to help you find, you know, your BIM processes and help you deliver your project as well within there. So still very much aligned with, you know, UK standards within there, but, you know, starting to build the tool set to help the clients round about it. There was also a lot of uh, BIM case studies uh, done in Scotland that informed that ROI tool as well within there. So still aligned, but, you know, at the same time, you're having that appropriateness test and the ROI test uh, with there and a very rapid program as well. And, of course, that program continues, you know, as well up in Scotland. I think for the size of our nation in Scotland, we've came a long way in a short time in terms of BIM and encouraged to do it in an appropriate way, you know, as well within there. So, yeah, again, you know, we're seeing the value proposition of BIM, you know, as well within there, within our, you know, a relatively small size of a nation.
0: And I guess the key thing to take away from that <clears throat> is that, The other key factor that you touched on is actually understanding the capability of the supply chain now as an asset owner. You may have desires to have specific asset information but if your uh, supply chain actually aren't capable to do it yet or only a few people are capable of doing it, it potentially could come at too high a cost at that point in time whereas in a couple of years time it might be actually more efficient or affordable.
1: Indeed, and I think one of the big things if you can actually get a client who's never done BIM before to actually be doing what we call BIM level one in and you know becoming good at information management, becoming good at naming and classification, then actually the jump from level one to level two is quite small uh, you know within there as well. And actually, I still think there's a real value of just getting the information management component, the foundation right and doing it safely and securely. But again, you're still built on the, you know the same standards within there. and again, you know, I think if any standard gives up it value, it's probably a complementary one on soft landings or b s eight five three six you know brackets better briefing within there. But for me, this mutualism between building information modeling and soft landings is just so, so important if you want to get better outcomes. And I think back to purpose, you mentioned right at the beginning of this, you know our, our purpose shouldn't be build you know nicer, fancier models. It should actually get better outcomes from our assets and those that use those assets.
0: Yes, the model's only built for the purpose of, of what information is required rather than just for the sake of building the
1: model. And suddenly if you bring the people together around about the model, then you know, you're going to win a, a watch.
0: It, it brings a campfire, a virtual campfire for people to tell stories. Yeah. The the drive that you have had from government both in, in the UK and in Scotland, they've been government project led. Now for interest for 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 people down here in Australia and asset managers down here in Australia also that's just seen our government start to put policy forward. Has the jump of I guess industry and the government over in the UK and Scotland meant that it's actually brought forward industry or made the industry more capable for private asset owners to actually obtain the same benefits?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, do, you know, we've seen the, I've said, I think it's fair to say anyway, it was in the public sector leading this. But equally, you know, the private sector, you know, are starting to, you know, take it and uh, build upon it very rapidly as well within there. And there's a group in the UK called bim for Clients that, you know, have helped that alignment happen uh, within there. But, you know, hugely positive, And I think equally, you say that the private sector clients are taking that. Now, it depends, you know, what, you, what your role is as a, as a client. You might want to, you know, just be, you know, creating something to to flip it, you know, pretty quickly. But again, if you've got an accurate data set, then it's going to help you be able to sell it to, you know, other potential clients. And then if you hold on to that asset or your portfolio owner, the value of having not just project data, being able to compare project against project and benchmark them, you know, hugely valuable within there as well. But I think we're seeing an equal pool now from both uh, public and private sector. And you're know, looking at these digital efficiencies.
0: That's, that's good to see and, that's, and that hopefully will bring confidence to the private sector not only from where you are in the UK but here in Australia to understand that as industry is going to improve they can also seek the same benefits that the governments are thinking, seeking and therefore being able to deliver more for less or to deliver a higher quality outcome for the same, same investment. Obviously I've been lucky enough to catch up with you numerous times all over the, all over the place and now obviously we have the ISO suite In place, which is essentially been drawn upon from uh, the British standards. How much interest in your role through Acom have you found that other countries or other, you know, people from other countries have actually wanted to to kind of not steal, but essentially draw upon the experiences of the UK?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I think it's fair to say, you know, the you know the ISO standards create a series of uh, information management principles that can be used anywhere within the globe, and I think there's. uh, you know, real interest, you know, no matter, you know, where we go. And I think, you know, the sta- the standards are actually just a good thing, having that harmonization across the globe. And I think, you know, obviously they're going to continue as well within that digital suite. I think the next release will be around about 2020 with part three and part five, which looking at digitization of the operational cycle and, uh, you know, mindful security as well. Within there, So I think everybody across the globe is interested. And of course, you know, if there's any experience that can be shared in terms of delivering it, you know, that's fantastic as well. But at the same time, you know, I know if, you know, we look at ACOM in terms of, you know, our asset characterization as well. So, you know, we build upon that what you know, one as well. You know, each country is you know, been lucky enough to, you know, be doing, you know, different parts for different clients. You can then bring that in to, you know, build upon the, you know, I always think of, you know, the things like information management, our standards as being our foundation layer. And then you can build upon that. You can start to when you come good at managing information and data exchanges, then you can start to plug into other things as well. So we've seen amazing things happen in the US. If there you think, right? You know, we can plug that one in. Or come across the Asia Pacific. It might be in terms of VDC. We can plug these things in as well within there. So yeah, important to us is getting that foundation, the light, the information management landscape, the data exchanges, doing it securely. And then you get innovation coming through. You know, from all different you know, countries, especially in terms of, uh, you know, New Zealand that you can plug into that and share across, you know, our global footprint.
0: Data that's more easily accessible uh, makes it uh, more easy or, you know, makes it more cost effective in the management rather than someone spending uh, an hour trying to find a piece of information because it's structured, they know how to find it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I th- that that is the main thing when you talk about that golden thread of information, you know, having you know, we've seen too many tragedies round about the world, and you know people can't find information to, you know, within there. If we can have information that's indexable and searchable, you know, at the push of a button, you know, that, that morally, uh, you know, that's what we need within there. So it brings in a couple of things, doesn't it? You know, good information management practices, good classification. You, you know, we think that's hugely important as well within there. Being able to do it securely and the role of the, you know, the common data environment.
0: So Dave, thanks very much, mate, today for sitting down and talking with me to discuss the digital journey that's occurred over in the UK and Scotland.
1: Now I'm going to ask it's you. No, pr- sorry. I say no problem, definitely. You know, it's a real pleasure. And I think you know hugely exciting times, especially in terms of Ian's uh, as well.
0: Oh, I greatly appreciate that, and and I and I, I really look forward to catching up with you later this year. But one question I have for you that I'm going to ask all of my guests on the show, you know, what does BIM mean for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it means be- better collaboration and better outcomes through structured data and information.
0: Oh, that's that's lovely. I was waiting when you said better. I was almost going to wait for you to say better information management. <laughs> that's my catchphrase. Yeah, race. but back
1: <laughs> to your one purpose. Back back to purpose. It's all about having queer purpose and using our information and data to to unlock it.
0: It's only going to be beneficial uh, to do any of this if there's actually uh, a good reason for it at the outcome.
1: Yeah. It- it's hugely important as well you know when we talk about purpose and outcomes that you know our clients you know those that receive data actually make use out of it as well and don't just you know leave it on a hard drive or on a shared drive
0: it then becomes almost like lean construction in some ways that the, the right data is provided for the right people at the right time
1: indeed and actually use it
0: so dave mate we got carried away as usual and as we always will but thanks mate for your time for more information on the UK and Scotland's digital transition, please head over to our website and find the links to the various web pages and documents that we discussed today for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. If you would like assistance with your digital transition, please contact us at digital For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. We would also appreciate it if you provide us with a rating and take the time to provide us with a review. Thanks for listening to Digital Transition, brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital. digital transition.